new game. Yes, it is. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-pack radio, the most interesting podcast in the face covering Pac-12 football news. This is Brian Conger. You can follow the podcast for free on Twitter at 12-pack radio. And we're starting to get a little following there. So definitely dig that and go back and forth with Mr. Rob Bowron, who is on the podcast as well. You can also subscribe to the podcast for free on any podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, you name it. We are there. And as I just mentioned, I am joined by the wizard, the master and commander of the Beta Rank College Football Advanced Statistical Model. Mr. Rob Bowron, what's going on, Rob? Oh, uh, do we have anything to talk about this week? Did uh, Are you suffering still from that blizzard that shook Pullman, Washington? Is that close enough to your home <laughs> columbus ohio uh i think that actually blew a little north of us by the time i got back to columbus but um uh i am i was suffering from the eyesore that was that game a little still that was so depressing and we're gonna get to that as we move along uh a lot i mean look this is the end of the line for many teams this year USC, most notably, and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Look, it, it was a weird week. Um, shouts to Utah for coming back, right? Uh, friggin' down 20, and they did the opposite of Arizona, which was actually close out of game uh, in the opposite direction and beat BYU. Very excited to see them in the Pac-12 championship. They will be facing Washington, but uh, that Apple Cup, man, it was just weird. It was weird and dirty, and I was so excited about what could have been this was the team of destiny rob washington state yeah the the Minshew mustache mike leach is talking about bringing in and out late to pac-12 conference meetings with all the coaches and my favorite <coughs> portion was um apparently it wasn't larry scott it was one of the the c-suite people on the pac-12 basically said why are you coming here and wasting our time <laughs> Mike Leach looks at him and said, well, I'm at this meeting. Isn't this our time? As he's munching on a double-double. This was the year, Rob. This was the year. And it fell through Washington State's fingers. And now we have a Washington-Utah Pac-12 championship, which is 11,000% less interesting than a Washington State-Utah Pac-12 championship. Your thoughts? I'm just I'm disappointed that it came down to that type of game. I mean, uh, I... I grew up in Wyoming. I enjoy cold weather football. Um, some of my fondest memories of football are playing in um, sub-zero temperatures and getting to crack people in that. Uh, however, sloppy, messy football is no fun. Um, and that was that. Like uh, I think Max Brown hit it on the head. Like it's not the team that executes the best in this weather; it's the team that makes the fewest mistakes. Um, and Washington State's offense is clearly not geared up for. Um, slushy mess <laughs> football. Um, and I just, it's a bummer because uh, it's not to say that Washington would not have won in uh, ideal football conditions, but I'm going to uh, say that Rob, I'm going to say that they would not have won an ideal. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think nine times out of 10 Washington state or not nine times. I think seven times out of 10 Washington state maybe wins. Um in ideal football conditions because that offense was, was the powerhouse of that team. It just, it's a bummer because, uh, we did not get to see what is a, a good Washington defense, uh, and that doesn't get a ton of pressure and tends to execute better in the secondary in coverage, uh, get to go against 
this really the best air raid team Mike Leach has probably had since that Mike Crabtree team on offense and we didn't get to see it and it's just a bummer and Washington State I mean like it all builds up this feels like the year for them and then a blizzard <laughs> against your rival at home like it's just it's just it's a hell of a way for the north to get decided it just it it feels a little incomplete i and, guess and you know rob this is all building up for washington state to lose by like 25 points in the in the holiday bowl right like that's that is exactly what's oh going to happen to this washington state team which is totally unfair i hope it doesn't happen i loved this team it was such a pleasure to watch this year but that tends to be what happens to Mike Leach teams in bowl games. It, it seems like he doesn't prepare. He hasn't changed his play signaling for the last six years. And Rob, the one thing I wanted to bring up for you on this, and we'll cover some of the other games, obviously, uh, before we get into, well, actually, we'll, we only have one, well, we have two games to cover because the, the Cal Dude, Stanford yeah. game, which is crazy. So we'll get to all of this, but I, I want to talk about the Apple Cup a little bit more. One of the things that really bothered me, and I almost tweeted something out and then I deleted it because I didn't really need to uh, get super negative, but I did think that the, sh- the shade and the mocking tone of Washington's defensive coordinator going after a Washington State offense that was clearly one of the best offenses in the country in the middle of a blizzard was completely over the top and inappropriate and and for i mean i I wouldn't say inappropriate like whatever you can say whatever he wants but i did think that the what he was actually saying was inappropriate because it was wrong like he was basically talking about being able to stop mike leach and i think that if they were to have played washington state in like decent weather i I just don't think that this happens i think that uh, washington state puts up a decent amount of points and maybe it's close or something but i just thought that was stupid like it was just really i'm not even a washington state fan and i got mad about it what did you think? No, I thought that was dumb. I mean, look, they have dominated the series of late. Um, and I think even when Washington State has had some decent offenses against uh, Washington, um, Washington's defense has had the better of that game. But, I mean, in these conditions, I mean, and I'm sorry, but Jimmy Lake, you're not as good of a play caller as Kotowski, and you're getting this opportunity because you've been a good soldier for Chris Peterson and he owes you it to advance your career and you're a heck of a recruiter. But like this defense isn't as good as Washington's defense was last year. Like they're, they, they take a huge jump in the model because the model is like, Hey, you shut down like Washington state's amazing offense. And it just, it feels a little frustrating because like they're getting this huge boost from like a snow game. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that part of like, I mean, if, if going into this, there's a little bit of uncertainty actually in beta rank coming into this Pac-12 championship because Utah, we're not, I'm not sure if the model's fully caught up with their injuries and Washington's defense isn't actually as good as the model thinks it is right now because, uh, it got the benefit of some snow. I mean, that's, that part was sort of frustrating because this leech offense in particular, I think could have put up and would have put up points on this Washington defense. Uh, I really don't. I'm going to watch this game. Let there be no doubt. I'll watch this game. (laughs) I mean, like we're obligated, right? Like it's in our, it's on our, it's in our totally made up contracts. But that's like your parents saying, Hey, we're going to Disneyland and then ending up in like, you know, uh, what's that in like Branson? (laughs) Like, Oh, well, this is cool, I guess, but this is not nearly what I was promised and what I deserve. I want my fair share Rob, and I'm not getting it in this pack. Well, there's, this is no knock. I don't want to take away from like Utah and their fun season. Um, and I would, 
I think Utah fans like and Pac-12 fans should be excited for Utah to be in this position, actually, because um, I think this Utah team is actually pretty fun. Um, and it would be a very fun story of them against Washington State in a rematch of what was a pretty good game um, earlier this season. I'm in no way excited for this ho-hum, mediocre Washington team um, <laughs> to go and play for the Pac-12 championship um, and the opportunity to go get boat raced by Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. No, I'm just, I'm not. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I just, uh, Jake Browning, he can, he can sign off and I won't miss him. Um, one bit like this Washington offense isn't that great. Like they're not very exciting. Uh, and you and I both watched that Utah Washington game. Like it both was trash. Of no, the, I mean, the second half was unwatchable. I mean, it was neither offense could do anything in the face of the repeated blitzing and, like I just, I mean, watching Jake Brown and crumple again, um, and possibly Utah's offense really struggle without you know uh, their starting quarterback and starting running back against this Washington defense. Like it's just it just doesn't have it doesn't it, it, not to mention in front of a thirty percent full stadium in Santa Clara. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, this is like the least. This is the least exciting, and I mean, this. Let's even count that that year that like six and six UCLA went to the Pac-12 championship. Like, this is one of the least exciting Pac-12 championship games in a long time. Yeah, at least that Stanford or Oregon—I forget what team it was either Oregon or Stanford. At least that team was good. That waxed the floor with them, so. right? Like that team. That team was like, oh, right. Like this team was going to go to and probably probably win the Rose Bowl. <laughs> well, and no, I'm glad you clarified all this because, like you mentioned, this is not a knock. I am actually really excited about this Utah team. I I love the fact that they came back and punched BYU in the mouth with their backs to the wall. I love the fact that they have a freshman quarterback in there that is operating an offense and they have Armand Shine rather Shane rather than uh, Zach Moss running amok down there. Their defense is nasty. I thought that that gang tackle on that BYU player at the end of the game was the most fitting ending for a Utah uh, win of the Pac-12 South, which is a swarming, nasty, aggressive, good defense, stopping somebody a young yard shy of where they wanted to be like i am i am all in on this utah team i'm very excited about them in this tournament this is a full knock on and i don't care you come at me friends of the dog pod you come at me about this this is a full uh punch in the face of the washington team because i think it's an uninspiring team i think they had their opportunities they did not pull through and i would have much rather have seen uh, a Utah defense against a Washington State offense, which was an awesome game earlier this year. Like that's what it I was. wanted. I wanted that it was rematch. A fun game. So Utah fans, this is not. A, I'm not throwing darts at you. I am more just disappointed that you don't have the, the opponent that your defense deserves. So, um, and we'll we'll get into that game when we talk about it. But let's shift real fast, Robin. Let's. Do you have anything else on the Apple Cup before? Uh, because we'll talk, we'll kind of touch on these teams anyway. But um, well, no, I do want to say thank you, Utah, for coming. I mean, you didn't cover, and so I mean, frowny frowny faces for you for that uh, for the week that I had. However, <laughs> you uh, you did come back. I mean, imagine how bad the Pac-12 championship game would look with. Ho hum, Washington, and a uh, four loss Utah team. Um, so, congrats on coming back, Utah. Like, I really appreciate that you did that because, uh, and actually, this week, and this is this sounds like very uh, this sounds like very cold, like uh, uninspiring, <laughs> an uninspiring thing to say. The Pac twelve for the first time all season is not the worst rated 
uh, Power Five conference in the model. It uh, passed the ACC this week for the first time. So you know it. The Pac-12. You friggin' know it. <laughs> for still being terrible, but um, not being as terrible as the ACC. Hey, Rob, let's try a different set format here. Where let's just go through some of these games and talk about the results, and then because we only have two games to preview, we'll do that yeah. at the end of the sleazy bet segment. Give them a little bit more time in terms of breaking it down. Uh, the next game I want to cover is Notre Dame USC. <laughs> and freaking that stupid all right so so last week right you, yeah your your model has like usc is like a 98 percent uh, percentage yeah, to win this game like Notre this Dame was, was like huge favorite this was the game to bet on i did bet on this game and usc came out with this hair on fire particularly on defense and that was awesome but before we get into this game that stupid touchdown at the end of that game and i knew it was coming right uh notre dame scores a touchdown I'm like all right all right we're covering right if, if you had uh notre dame 10 and a half like i am all right this is fine and then i just realized they're gonna let usc score a touchdown because there's only two minutes left in the game it doesn't matter and literally sc drives down 40 yards in like 30 seconds <laughs> like ah, yeah. and and you knew the pass was coming it was fourth down or it was so they had four chances of getting that ball in the end zone and they did i think it was to tyler vons at the end and i just ripped my hair out that was so frustrating we got most of the other good bets that we had ended up pulling through but that was a killer um but do you do you want to talk about the game or clay helton first uh no we can talk about the game i think uh i mean like USC is not going bowling, so this is the last time we will talk about the actual team for a little while. Um, <laughs> um, no, the uh, I mean I, I feel for USC fans. Like um, I, I just I, I think that USC's defense came out and played better than they had in a while. And this is this is a defense that particularly you know once again I think with Gustin being out, um, like they, they took some injuries throughout the season. Um, and they had some good performances. I thought Cam Smith had a good year still. Um, I thought Inman Marshall actually had a terrific year under the radar. Um, and they really shut down a Notre Dame offense that had been improving as the season went on. I mean, really improving with book in there playing, uh, for most of the game and kudos to them for that. Uh, and the USC offense, they looked marginally competent. I mean, JT Daniels, didn't like he still threw jump balls up to his wide receivers but they, they he didn't they didn't end up as interceptions they, um so well yeah and you're right and i think one of the things that alicia de artola was doing by the way if you don't follow alicia on uh twitter you should she's excellent she's them in the reina troy podcast which she's part of uh in the reina troy website like they do a phenomenal job covering USC. She knows her stuff and uh, her, her co-host does as well. She was talking about how they were kind of going air raid in the first quarter. And they did. It really ch- yeah. shook. You could tell Notre Dame really didn't know what to do with it because they were expecting Notre Dame's offense to suck and to for JT Daniels to throw those 50-50 balls. And he certainly did as the game progressed. But, man, they had Notre Dame on their, on their heels because they were just throwing these quick, short slant passes and bubble screens and tiny screens and checkdowns and just moving that ball forward seven yards a pop and Notre Dame could not stop them in the beginning until they kind of figured it out and after that uh, really you had USC scoring 10 points for the rest of the game and that's not going to get it done against uh, Notre Dame right yeah I mean they USC needed to do you know needed to hold it up over the rest of the the game and um, 
they didn't get it done. I mean, Notre Dame has a very good defense. Uh, and unlike Michigan, their defense played like it for the most part against USC. Um, but yeah, they, th- this was more about Notre Dame's uh, offense not getting it done than their defense not getting it done. Because if it were not for that late touchdown, I mean, their defense would have – I mean, USC's offense was not good all season. But um, holding USC to 10 points at the Coliseum, uh, even when they are kind of having a down year on offense, is a, a pretty good achievement for a defense. And that pick that Book threw at the end – uh, I was at the third quarter, but in the end zone, that was soul crushing for me because that would have been it. They would have covered it. Been I know. Fine. And, uh, they would have cruised probably. I don't know. It was <laughs> that whole game was very fr- like, I mean, I'm sure. Um, and I, I will say, I mean, I think, I think not getting blown out in some ways gave Lynn Swan the space to do what he did. Um, because if, if they had gotten, torched by Notre Dame by three possessions. I don't think, I don't think even Lynn Swan could have come out and said, yeah, we're keeping Clay Helton. Yeah. I, I think you should be gone. You're, you're USC. I would like to see what the buyout is on that contract because they are, they would likely be paying three coaches at the same time. That's probably not true, but in my mind, like it's, it's pretty close to being true where (laughs) I don't know what happened with the Sarkeesian stuff, but they have fired a lot of coaches in the last five to six years. So I don't know what the financial situation is there with that said, good Lord, you're USC man. Like if Clay Helton's your guy, uh, what is next year going to look like when a lot of these defensive prodigies are leaving? You don't have Marvell Telly, you don't have Porter Gustin, you don't have Cam Smith. And I don't know. I mean, like, obviously, he's bringing in a nasty, nasty recruiting class, but that's going to happen with any coach that USC has. Is that, do you think that's the case, or am I being just Pollyannish about how solid of a recruiting ground uh, USC can pull from? No, I think you, I mean, so we talked about the reasons that. Earlier this in the you know the season we talked about the reasons that Helton might be asked to stay on and part of it was what Swan alluded to in his uh, press release and that is that he USC was aware of the uh, the effects of turnover on the team you know all the coaching turnover that they've had and on the program so that some of it I mean another reason is that they've just recruited so well I mean even by USC standards they have recruited so well under Clay Helton. Um, but the flip side of this is, is, I mean, like the word on the street is that USC might, and I don't have sources. So people that have sources, this is their word that they're putting out on the street. <laughs> is, I mean, USC might clean house internally. I mean, particularly on offense, um, you know, but like basically everyone might have to interview for their job except for Clay Helton. Um, it just seems odd. I mean, this is, this is Clay Helton's staff that is currently there. He made these hires. Now you're, you're going to go tell them like, well, these clearly aren't working. Um, now go make better hires. Um, and people are acting as if like, Oh, like USC is now like USC is just now going to decide to invest more resources and coordinators and staff. And I'm like, dude, this is USC. What were they doing before? Um, (laughs) this isn't, this isn't a conversation that USC should be having. And I guess part of me, I just, I don't believe it. Like, I don't believe USC has like poorly paid coordinators compared to the rest of college football. And if they do like, wow, that was a dumb thing to do. Um, but I don't think with like Clancy Pendergast, uh, 
I don't think Clancy Pendergast is probably underpaid significantly relative to the market because Clancy Pendergast could, could go get another job like tomorrow. Um, T. Martin obviously probably could get oh, another gone. job. He's right, like, but he's not, yeah. he's not getting another OC job somewhere. Um, but that, I mean, that part, I mean, like I'd be, I guess I'd be surprised if they totally clean house on defense, but I guess the part of it is, is like, I mean, and we talk about this, but I mean, hiring is the most important thing a head coach does. Um, I mean, what gives you faith in Clay Helton's hiring? Hey, let me let me pump the brakes a little bit on the recruiting. I know Clay Helton's class last year was awesome, like off yeah. the hook, awesome. This year, it's thirty second, and that you know that could yeah. pump up in, in the next couple of weeks. I understand that. Um, I'm assuming. Yes, he always there. closes so ridiculously well. Okay, I'm just I'm just taking a look at what they have, and it's. I mean, it'd be impressive if you are Colorado or Arizona or Arizona State. But I mean, they got like five or six, four stars and a bunch of three star dudes. So, um, yeah, yeah, obviously. And look, I know people are saying, oh, it's not about the stars, it's about how they play. Like the stars matter at the the end of the day. It's about the, like at the end of the day, the, the vast majority of college football players that are five star players are very good players. Not at USC, (laughs) but for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and my biggest question is I was, cause actually I looked this up to see, if they had recruited another quarterback, because the one thing you could say about Helton is that he wasn't given the quarterback recruiting class that he has. I think I'd have to go back and look to see if he was there like the year that like Jack's, but I mean, they had Jack Sears and uh, the other guy, uh, yeah, Matt Fink. Thank you. Who are like clearly not good. And if you follow the beat writers, if you follow like Alicia and, and them, like they just basically said, look, these guys don't have it. Um, so that really forced Helton to play his recruit, the five-star kid, JT Daniels, who is clearly not there yet. And I'm looking at who he's bringing on, and they got like a three-star kid out of Scottsdale, Arizona, and that might be fine and good. Who's going who's gonna to sign behind JT Daniels, right? Like who's going who's gonna to sign knowing that JT Daniels is starting at least for two more years? He won good at it. <laughs> no, <laughs> so I mean I would assume somebody I mean, would. <laughs> he was, I mean, it's true, but like quarterbacks tend to like, and this is the other part is, and, and um, this is the reason if you're like so many, so many people were competing for Grant Gunnell, um, who ended up uh, pledging to Arizona. I mean, this is, this is kind of a historically weak QB recorded uh, recruiting class this year. Oh, got um, so USC, is going a little further down than they normally would. I think partly because they signed JT Daniels last year and then started him. Um, but also partly because like, it's just not a great, as good of a class as you would have expected. So, I mean, they are signed, they are probably going to sign that kid, um, out of uh, Arizona, but he's, he's more useful depth than anything else. Yeah. I think the best offer he had was from NC state. <laughs> so that's not a bad offer, but it's not you. The folks at USC is used to competing against for quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously there's a couple months left, but I was just, I was yeah. thinking of Helton's recruiting class being as nasty this year as it was last year. And for, for now that's not the case. Cause if you get like, if you haven't go on to rivals and just look up USC's 2018 recruiting class and then put your head in a toaster. <laughs> like it's just insane. It's like, Oh my especially God. At line, especially at linebacker. Like I, I, I did the roster part of our preview and I was just like, 
oh my god <laughs> like they signed everyone <laughs> um no i mean it, you're you're right i mean this 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 class isn't as good i just i don't i don't know i'm i was shocked like i mean so many i mean usc averaged fifty five thousand at the coliseum i saw it tweeted out today from somebody i think at the la times that that was their average attendance i mean that's <laughs> For a, a major college football power, they had to put OJ's uh, OJ's jersey back on <laughs> on the Coliseum <laughs> to make up for all the empty spots. <laughs> I mean, even with the construction, that's ter- I mean, that's terrible. That's untenable. And I mean, I I think that there have been a lot of um, I sort of quasi called out. I mean, there was a Yogi Roth tweet, and I think that there's a lot of. Um, there are a lot of people that have personally met Clay Helton that think he's a super nice guy and I, I, that's fine. But, um, that like not being a jerk is like enough to keep your job, but like being a nice guy is not enough to keep your job. Like you have to actually be successful. Right. <laughs> like, um, and I think there are a lot of people sort of rooting for Clay Helton in this. I mean, and maybe Lynn Swan is indeed one of them because uh, from all, from everyone you hear, he is a super duper nice guy. Um, but USC fans have made it pretty clear that they are not buying this product, you know, and everybody's sort of throwing around last year's team, the team that won, um, the PAC 12. I mean, last year, the PAC 12 wasn't very good. And that USC team got waxed by Notre Dame. And then they went, got waxed by Ohio state. That was not a very good – I mean, it was a good USC team. It was not a very good or excellent USC team last year um, that Clay Helton had. I just I, – I, I don't think USC fans know that. I mean, they were, they, were, they were dissatisfied. We talked to Alicia before the season. There was some dissatisfaction about last season because of – you know, you know, because the big for a program like us, yeah, they, they measure them. They don't measure themselves against Cal. You measure yourself against, you know, the, the other big programs of the, of the world. And, um, I just, I thought it was silly. Like the fans, the fans have sort of already decided on this. And, uh, I think Swan is just sort of putting off the inevitable firing, uh, um, for a year. Yeah. And I like Yogi Roth and I, Aside from the, aside from Larry Scott, most of the stuff that happens on the Pac-12 network, like the people that are commenting on uh, Pac-12 football, like they know their stuff. And I was, that was why I was yeah. surprised that he had sent that out because he almost always has his finger on the pulse of basically every team in the Pac-12. I'm like, how do you, how do you watch a USC game and know the USC fan base and, and say that? Like it, it just, it was kind of tone deaf, which is super rare. So like, again, he, I'm, I'm a fan of his and I, there's just something that I disagreed with personally. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, no, I'm I mean, not even an SC fan. And I, I took that personally. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? This is not, no, I mean like Kirk Herbstreet was getting into it with people online over Helton being retained when that news came out today and telling everybody like, they're going to be sorry because Clay Hilton, when he makes the playoff, I'm like, when is Clay Helton making the playoff? It's not next year. That's for I, sure. No, I mean, so for USC, they Oregon State rolls off their schedule, um, Washington State rolls off their schedule, and they get Washington and Oregon next season. And as you alluded to, like they lose a ton on defense. Like somebody was saying that this was a, I mean, Herb Street was kind of, or somebody was tweeting out that it was kind of a rebuilding year for USC. And I'm like, they lost their quarterback and their running back, and they brought back damn near everyone else. You know, what, what are we going to call next year? Like next year's 
kind of rebuilding year on defense. Are we going to call that a rebuilding year too? Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm not buying like I, this USC team next year is probably does not win the pac 12. Um, you know, if our, our nine wins enough to save Clay Elton's job next year, I would Jeez. say no. I mean, and here's the thing is that, yes, USC, I understand USC brings in a ton of talent. They always bring in a ton of talent. Last year's recruiting class was nasty. They had a lot of injuries. I get all that stuff. Freshmen are freshmen, whether you're a five-star. like and let, and oh, are, JT Daniels? I mean. Perfect example, right? Like this guy was supposed to be the guy, and he comes out. And what is he, the seventh best quarterback in the Pac-12? Maybe it's like, maybe? Like maybe the fifth, like Max? I, think I mean, he's ahead of everyone that played for Cal this year, right? <laughs> hey, man, uh, uh, the, <laughs> Ross Bowers is taking personal issue. To I mean, Ro- Ross Bowers, would put, I would argue Ross Bowers was better than JC Daniels. La- I mean, like, if you took last year Ross Bowers, yeah. I would take last year Ross Bowers over JC Daniels. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I understand quarterback's a totally different position. What I'm saying is that that defense will be very young, and they're going to make mistakes, and when they play – good teams i am curious to see how well they do and i don't think that they're going to win more than 10 games and that's a problem for if when you're at usc so um yeah it'll be interesting to see um yeah oregon's recruiting like gangbusters right now like usc is probably not even going to have the top class in the back 12 like oregon is ranked number four i mean and they have a staff that is i mean other outside of jim levitt who had a pretty good year not a great year coordinator wise i mean these guys can all just recruit, um, you know, and if USC isn't winning signing day, uh, it's going to feel like a real long off season for the Trojans. No, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else on that game. I was surprised that USC could run the ball a little bit more than we've seen in the past, but at the end of the day, they were still held, held to about a hundred yards, give or take the sacks that happened, um, which is still not great considering <laughs> what yeah. the talent was on the offensive line and in the running back core. I mean, it's just, it is mind boggling. The fact that USC could not run the football. That is what USC does is run the football <laughs> and they have great quarterbacks. I know they have great wide receivers. I know, but they have always had three bell cow running backs back there and they have none uh this year and maybe it's on Especially the offensive line bringing back four offensive linemen i mean it's just weird yeah. i mean and it's not like the guys that they had were like were like uh you know like they're okay i mean these guys are these guys would start at a lot of other pac-12 schools like and they just they were not very good behind this offensive line the offensive line was not very good yeah <laughs> Um, let's go to the embarrassment, egg in the face, eating crow game of the week, which was Oregon 55, Oregon State 15. <laughs> this game is so frustrating. Like, it, there's there's so much sneaky crap in this game that is so frustrating. Like, <laughs> I'm glad that you understand that because there is an alternative world in which Oregon State is up, pro- I'd say, like, 25 to 14 or something or like maybe Oregon State's tied going into the half Corvallis is rocking that stadium is going nuts they have they have Oregon shook and who knows what happens in that second half but that all that alternative universe is not right here and it's not right now and you're right there was a lot of weird stuff that happened in the game what did you see I mean the the funny thing is is that in this game Oregon State's offense was actually reasonably effective. They just put up almost no points. <laughs> like, um, 
you know, they, 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 they did put up quite a few yards in this game. Um, and, uh, friend of the podcast, Jake Luton, um, threw for almost 300 yards, uh, in this game. And he also had two interceptions and then they, they let Jack Coletto come in and throw one pass, which was intercepted. As well. <laughs> so super smart there, but, um, and they also had a fumble. So if you are uh, Oregon State and you are minus four on turnovers, like that is the game right there. Because your defense, this, this Oregon State defense we talked about, this is just abysmal. Um, so if their offense is coming in and they're not putting up um, points because they're turning the ball over and making big mistakes. And I mean, they had a couple even, uh, I mean, they turned the ball over on downs too. This is, I mean, Oregon was going to put up points in this game. We expected that Oregon state's offense was also going to put up points in this game. They had a, uh, historically type bat. I mean, not for, I mean, they, they had a season, probably the worst outing of the season. Um, it looked a little bit, I guess you could say like UCLA at some points of the season where you put up a lot of yards, the offense looks like sort of dangerous at times, but manages to shoot themselves in the foot. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was very fr- like this game in particular was very frustrating because um, I, I really expected Oregon State's offense to do some things in this game not not make the game like super close but like do they did they, they did they had two <laughs> the problem is they had two I want to take a look back at this but because uh, I watched this whole game and I'm and I'm it's it's seared in my memory unfortunately uh, but some of the details are blurry. I want to say that they had two interceptions in the red zone, like in the end zone. <laughs> there was yeah. like a weird oh, they did. jump pass. No, I mean, it was so. Uh, I mean, it was Oregon State should have by all rights put up. Like, let me look here because I actually I think I have this what the model thinks Oregon state should have done points wise in this game. Oh, well they should have put up at least 21. That's not that many compared. No. Yeah. They should have put up at least 21. Um, but they should have put up more points than even that in this game. Like they just, they bombed in this game. So many yards, so few points. Oh yeah, absolutely. And Oregon for all the crap that we had talked about, bad play calling, uh, the defense being funky. And I thought the defense was funky in the first half. The second half was a whole different story, but the game was basically out of hand by by that point. Yeah. But their play calling was basically run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. They ran the ball, Rob, 62 times. And six of them were or six of them. You could say like, you know, it was like a QB scramble. But let's just say for sake of argument, they ran the ball at least 53 times. And uh, uh, Tony Dye ran for about six yards of carry and CJ Verdell ran for eight yards of carry. And that's what they should have done. They had a combined six touchdowns. They ran the ball right down Oregon state's throat, which is what every team should do. That's playing Oregon state, which is why I was so pissed off. Everyone had a, everyone had Colorado. a career against Oregon state this year, except for friggin' uh, uh, with Trayvon McMillan <laughs> at Colorado. Yeah. Cause they wanted to throw the ball to, um, but they, they did exactly what they needed to do to put 55 up on him. Um, it was interesting. I was watching Herbert the whole time. And then about a quarter in, I'm like, why, what am I even doing? <laughs> They're just going to keep running the ball. And that's basically yeah. what they did the whole game. But, uh, but you know, congratulations, Oregon eight and four. That's a good season. I think they tied the season uh, win total. There's definitely some kinks they need to work out on that offense. But like you mentioned, Rob, they have an awesome recruiting class. And uh, one other thing is like, Again, want to give as many accolades to Jamar Jefferson as possible. He didn't have a great game. Oregon's defense looked really good. They play way better at home. And um, 
and I think I forget who was announcing the game, but they even had mentioned that as uh, I forget what coach. Uh, maybe it was Jonathan Smith basically said, like, don't even look at their statistics away from Eugene. <laughs> if you're playing in Eugene, look <laughs> at their defense in Eugene. <laughs> and that was the case here again, too. No, and I, I mean, I, I, I think for if you were going to sort of do a quick like the quick route, I mean, Oregon, you know, they're going to come out of this like they may end up in a pretty good bowl game. Um, this is a, a, a decent season for them. Um, like you said, they have some kinks, uh, but Oregon state, like take some hope, like this offense is good, but do a full evaluation of everything on this defense. Um, because I, it, one year seems like early to, to fire the coordinator, but they were that bad this season. <laughs> the, one, the one thing we were talking about announcers too, and I think there's another one when we come across it, I'll mention it is they were given foot massages to a lot of people last week. And one of them was, oh my God. and it might be because normally when I'm watching these games, I have it on silent cause I'm watching two, right. And I'm tweeting and stuff. So this was kind of the first week for a while that I've actually had the, the announcers on for almost all of the games and JT Daniels, the, the, Every freaking week, they make it seem like he is the second coming. I mean, they were they they opened up and they said, "Oh, JT Daniels has made some incredible throws this year." And I'm kind of oh I looked at my dad and I said, "Has he?" Like, because like, I pretty much watched every USC game this this year, and he's throwing a lot of balls up in the air. But that doesn't mean that they were good throws. But um, in any case, like, I it just reminded me because uh, I forget who was saying that last week that Oregon was a playoff contender and uh, next year. I'm like, all right, let's chill out. But you know, let's let's see what they do next year. But I think eight and four, most Oregon fans would probably take that moving into the recruiting class they have now. Um, anything else on this game? No, no. There's it was it was over. That was <laughs> that was how I felt about that game. <laughs> oh, Wilton Spate was the other one. Let's go into Stanford UCLA here. The, the announcers were making Wilton Spate seem like he was this mastermind, you know, um, enigma unlocking code breaker. <laughs> from UCLA and I'm like are we are we are we talking about the Wilton Spate because that's the reason I bet on Stanford to win this game and lo and behold they did (laughs) now this game he had a huge game with no touchdowns which is kind of amazing for as many attempts as he had and as many yards as he had that is true 466 yards uh Stanford's defense did not show up in this game right Rob no they did not um and I have to say, I mean, if you are a, if you're a UCLA fan, like take heart, like this offense was interesting. They were fun, like for a totally cobbled together unit. Um, yeah, like, and, and they could, and they did not. I, if you would have told me that UCLA would have 62 yards rushing in this game, I would have thought Stanford would have won by, you know, like 40 points. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the one thing I said that the defense didn't show up. The run defense certainly did. The secondary, man. Now, I know Alamein Murphy got hurt. I'm not certain if he came back in the game. Um, I, we, Caleb Wilson had himself a game. Oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> As a tight end, almost 200 yards receiving. Like, Caleb Wilson's going in the first round. He's insane. And really, like, I'm. We talk about tight ends on Wildcat Radio, and 
example a right here is to get a good tight end and uh and let him free let let the man free uh on the other side though you had kj costello i mean just a ton of throwing yards all over the place in this game um five touchdowns and he had himself a heck of a game they could not stop jj or sega whiteside few people can um but the fact that he was able to go for 100 and trenton irvin <laughs> who yeah. is not known as, you know, the groundbreaking wide receiver. He might play in the NFL cuz he's a good blocking guy. He's got a big body, runs good routes and all that stuff. But he had 100 yards. This uh this secondary of UCLA Rob has some work to do. Yeah, this defense is bad. Um and I I I think it's it will be interesting to see because I th- I think the seeds are there and, you know, Chip Kelly is going to get this offense going whether his buddy who this is his first season play calling in about 10 years as an RO can get it together on defense. I think is still an open question. I'm curious to see who the quarterback is next year. Does, um, who, who's the five-star kid? Thompson, Thompson Robinson. Does he stick around? It just seemed like they weren't getting along too well. That, that is a very interesting question because, uh, in a lot of ways he is, he is ideal for the offense that chip Kelly used to run. Um, I don't, how much, here, here, this is like a dumb question maybe like, cause I, I don't know. And maybe we'll find out in the future. Does Chip Kelly run the quarterback that much anymore? Does he need a rushing quarterback? I mean, I don't know. You know who you could use? Khalil Tate. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> Grad transfer Khalil Tate. Like for real that, that, Oh my God, that would be, uh, the Khalil Tate revenge tour um, with the far better talent at the skill positions that UCLA has would not be fun to watch. <laughs> I know that's hypothetical, but that is like in the in the realm of reality. But even more so, if you're a UCLA fan, I think you take this season to the bank. They showed a lot of promise um i I understand that they lost a lot but most of that happened at the beginning of the year what you want to see with a new coach is improvement as the season progresses and they certainly have that they have a good run i'm wondering is um uh josh kelly is he a senior no no i think he's got more eligibility oh my god um he is a junior so he is back next year i mean it, he had a big year. And it seemed like they cut the deadwood. We had like Sasso Jumbo and, uh, and some of these players that came in really heralded. And then like after the third week for Jumbo, it was pretty much the first week. Uh, Kelly's like, nope, like we're just not even doing it. I'd rather lose than, <laughs> than, uh, than play with you. And luckily he found Joshua Kelly because for a while we were just trying to figure out where is the running yardage going to come uh, from. It's got to come from somebody. I thought it was, was going to be Casimir Allen, who's pretty fast, but ended up being with Joshua Kelly. He returns. I think the defense probably gets better though, Rob. I know you mentioned them having a defensive coordinator that needs to dive head first rather than put his foot back into the water. But uh, I don't know. Like it, it'll be interesting to see Chip Kelly on the recruiting trail. Their recruiting class right now is 70th, Rob, in the country with Chip Kelly at the helm. What the hell is going on over there? Yeah, and the, the, it's it's late in the game to be 70th. Um, and UCLA. I mean, it's not to say that UCLA doesn't normally sign some guys. Uh, they do, and they uh, you know they they don't have USC's reputation for closing, but um, it's three weeks to three and a half weeks to signing day. They've got um, and, 11 guys. That's it right now. And, and, and most everyone's going to sign. Like that's the part, like don't, don't kid yourself. Um, 
you know, almost 80% of the players are going to sign in the early signing period. Uh, and most, almost and even more of the four and five star players are going to sign in the early signing period. So uh, if you are behind the eight ball, this is not a good time to be behind the eight ball unless you have like some crazy reputation for closing. Mm. Uh, Costello has one more year of eligibility. Sanford loses Bryce Love and good luck. Well, that really, that, that's really going to hurt them given how this year went. Their, their <laughs> running backs are terrible behind him. They really are. I, and like, I mean, how but many Bryce times Love do they have to... Look terrible. I mean, like, do, are they terrible or is Stanford its offensive line terrible? If I have to hear one more announcer talk about uh, Cameron Scarlett being you know, somebody that's a real sturdy back behind them. Like, no, he's not good. He just, there's nobody else there that can run the football. Like that's why he's running the football right now. He's, he's not a good back. Um, so, you know, Stanford, we'll talk about the Cal Stanford game in a moment, but, uh, you know, not, I would have questions. This, this Stanford team, I mean, our Sega Whitesides graduating, Irwin graduating, they, they're, they're going to have to figure out how to make this offense hum um, without those two catching the football. Yeah, they have a couple guys behind them that I liked um, last year. I mean, we'll, again, we'll like just know if you're listening to this podcast, we will continue talking about football throughout the season. Um, so we'll talk about some of the recruiting classes they pull in and stuff. We will not. This is the one thing we won't do is we won't get into the nitty gritty on every offensive tackle of every team. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. you know, the two star, three star guys. But we, we are I'm keeping an eye on the recruiting. Um, and so I'll talk about the recruiting classes from last year. But they did bring in some four star kids that I was kind of excited about. But it it's it might be a less interesting situation than Colorado, like, you know, where some of the guys that Colorado had were actually pretty good and they were just behind a, like an older, stronger, better wide receiving core. And that might be the case where you have some guys break out next year that just didn't have playing time because you had uh, Trent Irwin and, and JJ Arcega Whiteside out there. We'll see. I, I, I've been kind of disappointed in the tight end play there at Stanford. What about you? Yeah. I mean, what happened to tight end you? Uh, I mean, and, and Stanford actively still, you know, puts that out there that they're tight end you. And um, yeah, they haven't, it's not this was not a vintage Stanford offense to put it mildly um they they I remember watching you know the old Stanford offenses where I mean they could run a play action to a tight end and you know he'd be wide open cruising 40 yards down the field and um they have nothing like that now uh I I think Stanford has probably had some recruiting misses uh in some key places along the line and, and even at tight end um and they're they're going to have to sort of uh, coach some guys up that uh, maybe have been a little disappointing. Yeah, and their recruiting class number twenty seventh right now. It's fine, but there aren't those gangbuster five star kids that they've brought in in the past. And I, I think one of the things with um, with Shaw has been some like at some of the position uh, groups, like he's been sneaky, not great at bringing in the big talent, but he has been able to his defense, that defensive line, those Fox kids that they have running around there, like did not see that coming. That was, uh, it's been nice to see that run defense, that defensive line kind of come into shape as the year progressed. So it'll be interesting to see what they have next year. Let's move Rob to, uh, we talked a little bit about BYU Utah, but just wanted to give you the the floor (laughs) when it comes to Utah here. No, I mean, Utah came out and, um, 
almost fell flat out. They almost got Charlie Browned by <laughs> uh, BYU um, pulling the football out from under them. Um, but Utah turned it on late, uh, and they really turned it on late in this game. Um, you know, putting up 35 points in the second half, uh, it was looking really ugly at halftime. Um, and the Utah's defense, I mean, they would not – they would not have won the game uh, in all likelihood if it were not for the defense. I mean, part of it is the defense scored a touchdown, but um, their defense really put the clamps down. It was bizarre to see BYU's not very good offense. Um, they came into this game ranked 100, uh, being able to move the ball pretty effectively against Utah early on in the game. I mean, Utah just looked listless um, in that first half. Like, the play calling wasn't great. The execution wasn't great. BYU looked very focused and amped to be there. Uh, it was looking ugly, and then uh, Utah just flipped a switch, and uh, it was all Utah uh, from there on out. And you kind of knew, or at least I did. At, at that, I forget what there was a major play uh, that happened, and then Utah ended up scoring. I'm like, this game's over. <laughs> There's no way that yeah. BYU's gonna <laughs> come back, come back and score points in this game. Utah's got this, and behold, lo and behold, they did. Chase Hansen, uh, 13 tackles and three tackles for a loss in this game. He has been quite good, and we we knew that going into the season. But still, want to give credit where credit is due on that front. Uh, we we did talk about them, and we'll talk about their game against Washington coming shortly. So let's move to the next game, which is Arizona 40. ASU 41 and this was the exact opposite of the Utah game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh Arizona had an opportunity to uh salt this game away and they fell flat on their face. They uh went David Shaw on the play calling and then Khalil Tate threw a very bad interception and then uh they fumbled a a uh, very pedestrian play, just a, a handoff to the running back, no defenders within three or four yards. And they fumbled it. This was like the Hillary Trump, um, New York times <laughs> needle in terms of how far, uh, Arizona was favored in this game. And then you just could see that needle swinging back the other way. Yeah, it, it was, it was bad. And it, it's frustrating for Arizona Vegas because there's so much wrong that happened in this game from um, conservative play calling to uh, in the, in the red zone to um, like you mentioned uh, the David Shaw's to kind of a gas defense at the end, but it's hard when you have bad field position. Um, it ended up coming down to a 45 yard field goal, which of course was missed. <laughs> like the fact that, yeah. uh, and, and what you had was basically, Khalil Tate just throwing bombs at the end of the game to try to get Arizona to score a touchdown for some odd reason, rather than, Oh, I don't know, uh, giving your puncher a 20 yard, you know, chip shot to win the game, which did not happen. Um, you know, Benjamin, like the one thing with Arizona is their run defense was fairly good and kind of came together at the end of the year. So, uh, although, you know, Benjamin had three touchdowns, you know, I think two of those were <laughs> off of the turnover, the bad turnovers from Arizona and, uh, they held them to 80 yards. That's, that's pretty damn good for a, uh, a defense that was not highly rated coming into this year, but the run defense, I thought came on, uh, but the secondary, I was surprised that, that ASU didn't throw the ball more up. Yeah, the, I was about to say that Arizona really gave a Arizona State team that I think swooned a little down the stretch and maybe teams had them a little figured out. Um, 
they gave an Arizona State team that was did not play very well in this game a chance to win um, by putting up field goals instead of touchdowns by you know <clears throat> gifting them the ball um, because Arizona State did not have a good game plan in this game at all um, you know in particular offensively like they uh, they ran the ball right at Arizona's defense repeatedly it did not work at all and it's just weird to see this area I mean. It, they don't have a great offensive line uh, for pass protection. And so Manny Wilkins will take his shots uh, both downfield and he will get hit. Um, but it's it's just weird to see ASU not commit to throwing more intermediate passes with the receiving talent and with Manny Wilkins. It's just it seems like an utter waste of what they have on the field. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm looking at the sidelines and two things stick out to me from both coaches. The first is I never see uh, Kevin Sumlin talking in his microphone. Like he, he's always just standing there in dead silence. And I'm going like, this team isn't good. Shouldn't you be talking to somebody up in there in that booth? <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's like a disquieting. It, it's funny because I'm going to give the same compliment basically to um, – uh, I, I, or it's like a flip side compliment to Herm Edwards, but both, both coaches don't scream or yell or flip out or, 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 you know, piss out a kidney, <laughs> kidney stone, like McIntyre does. Uh, they're both really mellow on the sideline. Um, but one just looks way more in control of the game and that's Herm Edwards. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but like his demeanor on the field, like, you know, he's talking to his coaches, he's patting his players on the shoulder. When there's a bad call, he'll like calmly walk over and talk with him about it. Um, that's been the case from the targeting call against San Diego State, which was unfortunately the right call, even though the circumstances were poor. And the way he handled that, which is basically, hey, man, um, so is that like by the book rules? And, yep. Well, I guess we lost, <laughs> like just walking yeah. away rather than screaming at him um, to, you know, when they're making good calls and him just kind of I, I just I like his demeanor on the field and he looks like a coach and he acts like a coach. And like that's not always the case on the sidelines when it comes to college football. So it's just kind of a nice uh, cerebral appreciation for what's going on there at ASU. On the other side, you have also a calm, mellow, composed Kevin Sumlin who just isn't talking to anybody at all, though. So I'm like, is he listening to like metal, you know, in his headphones or maybe Bach <laughs> or something? I have no idea what's going on, but just that's more disconcerting where I'm like, we're getting our, our heads handed to us. Can you talk to somebody for the love of God? Uh, it's, hey. it's funny. They both have reputations as being, and, and you talk to people on that have been on around both of them. They both have reputations as being some of the best communicators in the business. Um, but Herm is just, he's, he is a full on extrovert. Um, and someone in some ways seems a little bit like a guy that is very good with words, but may be a little bit more introverted, I guess you could say. And, um, he definitely can, uh, choose his spots in a way that Herm can sort of like fill a room and fill a space. Yeah, I think that's fair. And look, for all I know, the camera is just catching him at different times. It's just Almost every game. No, Kevin Sumlin is always watching. Like, whenever he zooms in on Kevin Sumlin, like, he is, like, I'm just like, what is Kevin, like, Kevin Sumlin is, like, clearly thinking, like, um, and I, like, that would be the part of, like, I, I would, I would love if they ever, like, that, that they did have Kevin Sumlin in the coach's room 
that ESPN coaches room. Uh, and he was really good at breaking oh. down tape and, and talking about the game that, uh, he was on. Um, yeah, I would like, I would, I would love to see what Kevin someone is thinking. Cause he's been around. I mean, he has been around some really good coaches in his career too. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I mean, it was, uh, it, I will say this, and I agree with you it is a refreshing change from, I mean, Rich Rodriguez just losing his mind screaming at student athletes and cussing them out. Um, and I mean, Todd Graham was pretty hot under the collar a lot of times too. So I, I don't miss either of those two. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's move on to the last one. Colorado 21 Cal 33. (laughs) Sorry. I am sorry, Colorado fans. I am laughing because Man, like Cal's defense was like the best offense in this game. Oh my gosh, it was so stupid. And Cal covered, or I'm sorry, Colorado covered, which was one of the bets that we made too. Um, but literally, Steven Montez threw two pick sixes in the first three minutes of the game. Like it was stupid. <laughs> it was so dumb, Rob. Did you get a chance to watch this? I did. I mean, I was, I, uh, I missed the first uh, five minutes of the game. And I flipped over to it and I was just like, at that point, I actually tweeted out, I think I had the possibility of going 0 and 7 against the spread in my picks that week. And I was like, it's going to happen. Like, I mean, Steven Montez just threw two pick sixes. Like, I'm screwed. Um, yeah. Like, it was this, – this game was – Colorado actually at the end of the game um, was reasonably – I mean, at least in the second half was reasonably good um, for very short stretches against this very good Cal defense. And you, you just kind of wonder if they hadn't given up like, you know, the two easy pick sixes like they might have. They Colorado might be going bowling. Cal gave up. I'm sorry, Cal. Uh, I don't want to say contributed because that's the that's not the right word for this. Cal scrounged up a little bit over 200 yards of total offense in this game. And only and won the game by twelve points. Like it's this is such a this is so ridiculous. Um, And one of the things that we had talked about when we previewed this game was, well, where are the points going to come from? Well, the points were going to come from Stephen Montez and the Colorado (laughs) (laughs) all around for everyone. Stephen Montez was they had trouble uh, spiking or hiking the ball. Like there was just a ton of gross in this game with that said uh montez is still a good quarterback there are still decent players on this offensive side of the ball for colorado and they made it a game and they came back late to at least put up some points uh they scored 14 in the third quarter although they got shut out in the fourth uh, fourth quarter but um just enough to cover the game not much i really want to say in terms of this I and mean, they obviously will keep track of what's going on with the Colorado coaching uh debacle <laughs> and uh but Cal like seven seven uh wins in a weak conference but they still got them be interesting to see who they draw in a bowl because um it might be one of those three zero sun bowls from, <laughs> from like 20 years ago or whatever uh with yeah. Oregon State and Pitt it, it could be an ugly game but uh, congrats to Cal though for putting together yet another decent season and it'd be interesting to see if uh they they keep the momentum going. Hopefully they do an offense. I mean, I I guess I I, I am I would be interested to see if Bo Baldwin keeps his job um, after this season. 
that they've had offensively. I mean, because this, this, this Cal offense is horrendous. Um, and it's, it shouldn't be that hard given some of the pieces that Sonny Dykes left behind to cobble together better than what they've got. Yeah. But like, let me just back up on that front. Almost his entire wide receiving core that was good left the program. And I don't know whose fault that is. Could be Baldwin, could be, um, Wilcox. I'm uncertain, but you had, it was a Demetrius Martin left and then two, yeah. uh, two other four star wide receivers left. Um, Patrick Laird was a walk on and all of those quarterbacks suck. So what do you, how do they all suck? I mean, like, I'm sorry, but like, how, I mean, who doesn't suck? You know, who doesn't suck Ross Bowers. He does not suck. Ross. I mean, this, if you paired this Cal offense, I mean, this Cal defense with last year's offense, like this Cal's probably like a nine, 10 win team and maybe wins the North. And that's crazy to say, but I mean, it wasn't exactly a banner year for the PAC 12. I mean, we've got two, three lost teams in the championship. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, uh, I just, I'd be surprised if ball, I mean, I'm not, it's, the year has been that bad on offense and they are so good on, on defense right now with what they have going. Um, I guess I just, I mean, why not take a, like if, if it's not working out with Baldwin, like bring in someone competent that runs a better scheme and move on because offense is something you can, I mean, a good offensive scheme can, can bring immediate improvement to what you're doing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think that's a good point. I've forgotten that uh, Bo Baldwin had such a disgusting year uh, at Cal. We were always making fun of the offense and never brought up the fact that Baldwin was, we thought, a good hire and uh, was in line for a couple jobs, you know, at least in the running for a couple jobs in some of these Power Five conferences, has not done himself any favors on that front. Uh, Cal has a top 35 recruiting class coming in this coming year. So just something to keep an eye on. Um, be interesting to see how long Wilcox sticks around. Cause if he gets another eight win season at Cal, I mean, he can move basically to another school that doesn't have the academic restrictions that Cal has. And yes, I know that a lot of schools have, and I'm doing air quotes right now, scare quotes, academic restrictions, but Cal's are real. And that, that is a school that really does try to, um, and they've been more rigorous. It was one of the reasons that Sunny Dykes was always butting heads. So uh, something to keep an eye out for in the future. Anything else on any of these games, Rob? No, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, that's that's really true. I mean, I, I would not expect uh, Wilcox to hang around uh, Cal for long um, if he gets another good season put together because somebody will come knocking. Absolutely. Well, with that said, let's get into our sleazy bets. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice? Up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Actual gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby. Just bust a move. Okay. All right. Only two. Only two games coming up. <laughs> it's getting sad, Rob. Although bowl season we'll have a lot to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah, we will, actually. We will have a lot we will cover every Pac twelve game and uh I will have breakdowns of all of their opponents and everything. I'm excited about it. Like, and, and I'm definitely going to ask you some numbers questions about these, uh, these bowls, because there's a lot of value. If you are one that dabbles in the bets of sleaze, let's talk about, uh, let's, let's do the first game here. The Stanford Cal game was postponed due to the fires that were happening in California. They are going to play December 1st. This game is at Cal. Stanford is a two point favorite over Cal. 
and I still like Stanford. It's the the line hasn't moved. Vegas hasn't seen any you know anything that indicates more than they saw a few weeks ago. I'm trying to think of what the or what are the numbers here? Uh, what does Beta Rank say? So Beta Rank likes Stanford in this game. So Stanford comes in number 26. They've been creeping up as the season has gone on um, after getting waxed by Notre Dame and Utah in consecutive weeks. Uh, the defense for Stanford right now sits at number 55 after that kind of rough outing that they had against UCLA. Uh, their offense is at number 32. Their special teams is at number six. Oh. Um, this is a very good Stanford special teams. Um, Cal comes in at number 65. They are 116 on offense, which is not great. Um, they are number 18 on defense, um, which is down a little bit from their high uh, this this season. They were uh, number 10 at the beginning of the week, but um, Colorado does not have a good offense, uh, and giving up the yards and touchdowns they did to them didn't help. They're number 60 on special teams, um, but the model likes Stanford considerably more than two points. Um, it likes them at about 10 points in this game. Uh and I, I tend to agree with that, actually, <laughs> in this game. Cal's defense, they've gotten a little better. Beckett, I think, put some good, some decent pressure on the quarterback. But Cal doesn't put consistent pressure on the quarterback at all the times. Um, they're a very disciplined defense. Uh, I think the Stanford offense could, could cause them problems with Costello getting the ball out uh, in, in the way that they do. And I, I, I do think Stanford's defense is, is good enough to really – bottle up this cow offense let's talk about keys to this game here uh, well and before we do that let me break down the defense a little bit more on cal so looking at beta ranks numbers where is cal in terms of rush defense and pass defense uh in terms of rush defense cal's number 32 against the run and they're number nine against the pass so oh my gosh this will be uh, strength against strength because Stanford comes in at number 111 uh, rushing the ball and number seven throwing the ball. This this Stanford team is all KJ Costello and our Sega Whiteside and Irwin all the time. Um, and they are going to be going against a very good uh, Cal secondary and discipline. And like I, I've harped on like disciplined Cal defense that can give you multiple looks. That's interesting. I didn't realize that their secondary was so good. Uh, Cal, I knew their rush defense was really solid, and I like that defensive line. It's amazing, Rob, what they've been able to do with guys that we really hadn't heard of on the recruiting trail. Like, I, I know they yeah. have a couple of four-star guys. I understand that. But for the most part, this defense is just a bunch of dudes that are playing um, better than the sum of their parts, and that is that is good coaching right there. So uh, that's why I'm kind of bullish on Wilcox getting a better job. As the years go by, ah, like... See, it's it's interesting though. I wish I could see. Um, I wish I could see the the height of their uh, of Cal's corners. Um, I don't think they have <laughs> not tall enough. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? He just he just throws the ball up there, but but he Costello does a decent enough job. He's not JT Daniels, where he's just throwing up yeah. lobs. Although sometimes they do that. I'm not saying, but it it is less so than what Daniels is doing on that front. Um, you know, Bryce Love, I kind of liked what he was doing against um, UCLA, but most people can run against UCLA. And at the end of the game, yeah. I still don't think Love got more than 100 yards. I'd have to go back and look. But he didn't. Um, man, that, that is amazing. The fact that Stanford can't move that ball on the ground. <coughs> 
Um, I just, yeah. it, this is the same thing as, as last week though, right? Like where do Cal's points come from <laughs> at the end of the day? Um, is it going to be a, like 10 points defensive <laughs> scoring that they're going to do? I doubt it. And uh, I don't, I mean, tr- that, I don't tr- that, yeah. we thought that Cal line was generous against Colorado and Cal nearly pulled it off with two defensive touchdowns. But how often are you going to have, I mean, I'm sorry, Cal's had a lot of defensive touchdowns this year. So when you say how often could that happen, it could happen. Um, but it's not something you can regularly count on, um, you know, and I wouldn't count on it going into this game. I, I think Stanford, I, mean, I think Stanford can put up 21 points. Do you think Cal can put up 19? Yeah, me either. So, <laughs> no. easy, that, that's easy. All right. The the one, the, the one thing to keep in mind: these are rivalry games, so like weird stuff does happen here more so than other times. It's true. Um, and you know, it'd be interesting to see what the numbers say on that because we always say that because <coughs> we see it. But I, and I do think that that's the case. Like, it, you know, like you have teams that aren't as talented play to a higher level. So. Uh, but still, with that said, give me Stanford. I took Stanford two weeks ago. I'll take him again. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'll take Stanford in this game. I there's there's no percentage in playing Cal uh, for this. Like you just you can't have any faith in Cal's offense. And that game is Saturday, December first on Pac-12 Network. The other game we have is Friday, November thirtieth, and this game is on Fox. Hopefully, I was really hoping Rob that Gus Johnson was on the Apple Cup, and he was not. I think he did uh, Texas. I forget who. No, he had Ohio State and Michigan State. I get it. I get it, Fox. Whatever. But but still. <laughs> oh, no. But Gus Johnson gave, like, Urban Meyer a giant back rub in that game. Like, he's coming back from adversary, adversity. Of, like, you mean the no. adversity he created <laughs> by being a terrible, you know, CEO? <laughs> I want to take Utah, Rob. I want to take them so bad. Um, it's Washington by four and a half, right? It's Washington, yep. Washington is a four and a half point favorite against, as you said, 35 people in Santa Clara. Um, what, <laughs> what do the numbers say about this? All of whom work for the Pac-12 network oh, or Kate, are their family members. Man, Kate Scott is going to be the biggest uh, Utah fan <laughs> going into that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Washington comes in at number uh, 19. Um, they have the number 34 ranked offense, which is about right. However, they get a really big bump from having in theory held Washington state's, uh, terrific offense in check a bit last week. So they jump up to number 11. Uh, I, however, that is somewhat snow aided. Um, so I don't think their, their defense is not actually that good and they haven't played around there this season. They have been in the sort of mid to high twenties, most of the season, Washington special teams have not been good, uh, ranked at number 89. Utah comes in at number 24. Uh, their offense is ranked 40. Uh, there is, again, like they, the model catches up pretty quickly, but uh, may still be sort of chewing through what does Utah's offense look like with the injuries uh, to the quarterback and running back. Uh, the defense, however, is very good, number 24. Um and Utah's number 32 on special teams. I mean, pretty good. They've had some uh, some coverage errors, and um, Matt Gay has not been as accurate um, as you would have liked on uh, his place kicking. But um, still, Utah, of course, known for having special teams, and this is a very good special teams unit. Uh-huh. But this game, when you look at, like, so Washington's offense, uh, fairly balanced. They come in uh, rank number 30 in effective rush. Um, so uh, Gaskin and Ahmed have, have had pretty good years, actually. And um, 
I think they're both dangerous. Uh, and some, and Utah, uh, something is definitely Utah is going to have to account for, um, they're number 42 in effective pass, which is not all that surprising. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone looks at this Washington offense and is really cowed by what they're able to do in the air. Uh, Jake Browning's had some good games, but he's, he's mostly played like better than average most of the season. Utah's defense, uh, that number 24 defense, they're number 23 against the run uh, and number 33 against the pass. They are run stuffers, uh, and Chase Hansen's been a big part of that this season. So if you remember back to that first matchup with Utah and Washington, uh, they were uh, they were able to really plug the gaps uh, and, and almost totally shut down Miles Gaskin in that second half. Hmm. I'm looking at Gaskin's numbers here since he came back. So he was out against Colorado and Cal, which is uh, probably a good thing on the Cal front for his numbers. But against Stanford, 148 yards, five yards per carry. Oregon State, don't don't even worry about Oregon State. They don't count. <laughs> and Washington State, <laughs> I thought this was impressive. This was We didn't bring this up when we talked about the Apple Cup. But 170 yards, 6.3 yards carry, and three touchdowns in the snow. That, that, was, that was impressive. And I understand that, like... You you dislike Washington State's defense much more than I do. I was surprised that he was putting up those numbers against them, even if this was like a dry climate. You know, um, I for some reason just have been more um, favorful of that defense than um, uh, than the numbers bear out. So all that to say, he is good. It'll be really fun to see whether or not he can put up yardage against this Utah defense. Cause it is good. Um, yeah. and whether or not Browning, like does Browning has to throw one pick in this game at least. Right. Um, well, so this is pretty tight and beta rank, but, um, Utah's offense comes in and they are, they are much more effective at running the football. So they're number 25 and, uh, effective rush. Um, they're number 64 in effective passing. And I, I think if you are going to say like, how is Utah going to put up points like through the air? Uh, if they are, if they end up in any way behind, um, it could be tough slotting for them. Washington's defense comes in number 13 on effective rush, um, number 12 on effective pass. So pretty effective. The one thing about Washington and we, they were hugely aided by the snowstorm in this is they have not really gotten effective pressure on the quarterback this season in particular with rushing four um and again like if we think back to that uh first game like that second half both utah and washington blitz pretty heavily in that second half and neither browning nor huntley dealt very well with the pressure it will be interesting to see what both teams learned from that and how they're able to sort of deal with that because um i would be surprised if utah is able uh to get uh pressure on on browning with only rushing consistent pressure on browning with only rushing four um but i think washington is may have to run the foot or maybe we have to throw the football in order to win this game for washington are they going to be able to get pressure uh on shelly with rushing four and can utah establish the run against the washington defense i'm not sure they can uh, where are the points going to come from uh so it's closer in beta rank than it is in the, the spread. So it's um, Washington has a 57% win probability in this game. Um, that is roughly two, 2.4 points that Washington's favored by in the model in this game. So it's, it's not, um, it's not quite as far off as, 
I mean, that's that's still pretty close. I mean, you're not going to win a whole lot of games by two points, I suppose. But um, it's basically Washington by a field goal. I'm just trying to to walk through this here because Zach Moss is out for the season, obviously. Um, yep. Armand Shane. Is it Shane or Shine? I always forget. Cause they, it's Shine. It's Shine. Okay. Because um, I've been watching him, and I really loved what he did against Oregon, obviously. Like, he tore it up against Oregon. The last two games, though, against BYU and Colorado, I understand BYU's run defense is good, but he hasn't had more than 60 yards in either of those <laughs> games. And now you're talking about him running up against a pretty nasty front seven uh, from Washington. It's not that their defense isn't as vaunted as I think people think it is, but it's still quite good. And I love Ben Burker when you talk about run stuffers. Like I would. Yeah. Very, oh yeah. He's having a heck of a year. Very much interested in watching that matchup between him and uh, whoever, <laughs> whether or not Shane could actually run the ball. Um, I also trust I, – I really came into this podcast wanting to take Utah, and I don't think I am. I think I'm going to take Washington. I'm just trying to think of how Utah is able to move the football through the air like you mentioned. If that happens, let's say Washington for the most part can shut down Utah's running game. I don't trust Utah's wide receivers, and I, tr- I don't trust this freshman quarterback in a big moment against a pretty good secondary um, on the flip side, I know Browning makes mistakes. I know that he looked terrible in that last Utah game. Um, but I do put a little bit more faith in somebody like him to win a game like this uh, at the fact that you have Miles Gaskin. So I'm going to take I'm going to take Washington and I'm not happy about it. I actually really would like to, I would like to see Utah win this. I do. I, I, do. I, li- I like that team. I like what they've put together. Um, and I'm kind of sick of Washington being okay and still being the Pac-12 champion. I would much, I, I'd be rooting for Washington if they were good, if they were really good and they're just not this year. So I'd like to see another team bubble up and, uh, and see what they can do. But I don't know. What do you take? So if you were going to, construct the case for Utah winning the game. They are probably plus one on turnovers and they have, they dominate field position in the game using special teams and which is super possible by the way, both of those. Yeah. And Washington's freshman kicker misses a kick or two. Um, (laughs) Also not, not even that, that will happen. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's quite likely to happen. So that, I mean, that kind of, it's not impossible to construct like how, you know, this is a very close game of the model, um, but you're right. It's it's close, and if it's close, I will take Miles Gaskin and Jake Browning. <clears throat> Although Browning is like a constant letdown against the spread, um, I, I'll t- I will take the ex- in, in the experience that they have. In it's been a long. I mean, it's been a long time since Kyle Whittingham coached in a really big game. I mean, he sort of made his name, and, and maybe you could argue it helped get Utah into the Pac-12 conference um, with some of the big bowl games that he won as Utah's coach. Uh, but uh, Peterson uh, has been there and done that more recently, uh, and you could argue did it more often at Boise. I, 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 th- I think there is a bit of a coaching advantage Um for you for Washington in this game. I, 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 I like Washington to win. To, oh, to... going against the model. Come on, Rob, get your head in the game. <laughs> it's so, I mean, it's, it's, this is actually the model and the spread are so close that they're like that for the purposes of how I count it, it is, they're tied. They're, they're so close that, um, 
it's 50 50. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, it's a good line. That is a good line on this game. And, and it, you know, as much as we dumped on it, it, it will still be a good game to watch. I just would have loved to see Gardner Minshew uh, do some dirty things. It's a much better it. story. Yeah. Like, it is much better. And, and, and in covering in covering the conference, you you end up, and I sound like some sort of like old media hack here, and I resist that label, but you end up rooting for stories because that was some, that, that makes it more interesting. And Washington State would have been a much better story. Yeah. Well, stick around. So we will do a bowl pool and we will have some filthy prizes to give out. I'm uncertain what they are yet, uh, but that will come shortly. So stick around next week. We will definitely break down these games and we'll know the bowls that happen. So we'll start breaking down those games, which will be really fun. And we'll definitely do our research into the teams outside of the Pac-12 conference on the particular Pac-12 bowls. And uh, we'll probably have some more surprises as the coaching carousel spins and spins and spins. Uh, Mr. Rob Bauer and anything else? else we should cover oh you don't want to know something crazy so alabama and georgia are number one and number two in beta rank that that line that vegas line is about spot on where beta rank has it like that's how good alabama is like that is <laughs> wow and they're a 13 and a half point favorite is that what i saw uh i saw a 10 and a half it okay. might have already it may have already gone up um but the model has them at about uh, 11 um, in the game, which is just crazy for a one versus two in the model. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, Alabama is just, um, and sh- one of the things with of Saban, and then we'll sign off here is that you have a lot of coaches in Pac 12 or not even Pac 12, just college basketball and football that run their system and it's their system, right? This is my program, my system. I'm sticking to it. And think of all of the coaches that you can criticize for doing that. And there are many. Um, with that, you know, that said, Saban at first poo pooed the quick offense stuff, you know, like just, yeah. oh, you know, this is bad for defense, this is bad for players, and then quickly adapted to it. And now look at the monstrosity that is this Alabama program year after year after year. Um, I just, it just shows you that keeping an open mind and, you know, maybe, maybe keeping up on what's going on uh, can help anybody, even Nick Saban. And and he did that. So uh, let's hope that PAC 12 coaches do the same. Um, Cool wrap. Well, we will talk you, we'll talk next week and uh, looking forward to seeing who gets to get whipped by. um, This is an easy week for me. I mean, there are so many fewer games. I will put out uh, radar charts and preview. I won't, and I'll do previews of all of the conference, all of the Power Five conference championship games. Oh, nice. Okay, okay. Looking forward to that. Um, all right, Rob. I know it's late your uh, your time. I'll catch you next week.